You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. God bless you, kids. God bless you. Think of the joy that we have had just in this past week. So many of you are here texting one another and texting my wife and texting one another and texting my wife, trying to find out answers from God's book. And it's, it's not some random question that is not going to matter in eternity. Uh, let's, let's study where Cain got his wife. Why does it matter? Really, why does it matter? And, you know, let's, let's study this and let's study that and let's study dates and all these different things. You know, I listened to a message the other day from Brother Jack Hiles, and it was, it was amazing. He said this, you know, I'd rather study history than prophecy. You need to listen to it. It's very, very interesting. But we are looking at a question. The question being, how can Jesus say, resist not evil? without destroying eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Let's be reminded by looking back at Matthew chapter 5, and we will start reading there. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 38. We'll go through 42. Even though we did not read 42, it's going to come back in a little bit of, uh, at the end. And so I don't want to have to read it then. We'll be able to roll right into it. But what we're really focusing on is verse 38, 39, 40, and 41 of Matthew chapter 5. Now, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus saying, do this? Or is Jesus saying, think this? He's saying, think this. Now, how many of you are leaders of people? How many of you are leaders of people as far as at your job, in, in your, I mean, men, you, whatever, okay? But if, if you're in management somewhere, you are, you are leading people. You know that as a leader, if the only thing you do is correct one-off situations as they come up, what do we do in this one-off situation? Well, you do this. And, well, what do we do in this one? Well, you do this. You, you, that's all you're going to do. And your, your handbook and your employee manual is going to be about this thick. Because what do you do when a cow walks into the office? Okay, this, this is what you do. Well, what do you do if a sheep walks into the office? Well, here's what you So what Jesus is saying is we're not just combating here's what you do in these one-off situations. Let's build a culture by saying this is what you think in all situations. And if we can get us thinking right, we can certainly get us doing right. Because a lot of people can do right without thinking right either, right? So he's trying to build a culture by giving principles. Think this in all situations. I'm not just telling you when you have the opportunity to commit adultery, don't do that. Why don't you think this? God is not concerned or impressed with the actions of your hands more than he is concerned with the notions of your heart. So don't be getting so proud of yourself that you've never committed adultery when you're thinking it all the time. That is the principle that you need to understand. God looks at the heart, not just the actions of the hands. That we can apply everywhere, right? So look at what he's saying here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. 
But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. No, notice this, it'll come back a little later. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. That goes together with 41 through 38, even though it's a little bit of a standalone. We'll come back to that. Heavenly Father, please bless the preaching of your word. And let, let this message resonate in a way that we remember for the rest of our lives. To remember this principle because I know it will change. I know it will change our hearts. I know that it will. Let it be so for your sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, we started, remember, by asking, what are we supposed to do when somebody wrongs us? What are we supposed to do when somebody harms us? What are we supposed to do when somebody launches an attack against us? The law said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus says, resist not evil. How can both of those exist in the same universe? And then beyond that, we have to ask, not only how do they exist in the same universe, but how can resist not evil actually be a fulfilling of eye for eye, tooth for tooth? How can Jesus say, resist not evil is really what God was driving at? when he said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Brother Mike, you and, I, you and I were talking about this. Brother Mike Condi, sorry, we have a lot of mics in here. Brother Mike Condi, we were talking about this because when you read that and Jesus says, I'm not here to destroy the law, I'm here to fulfill the law. But when you see him say something that seems completely opposite, you wanna say, Jesus, it looks like you are destroying the law. And not just on the surface, but we've studied this for a week now, and some of us are still confused. It took me a month to get to this, to get to this conclusion. So in order to answer the question, how can Jesus say it without destroying the law, we first had to find out what God originally intended when he gave that law. So we had to go back to Exodus chapter 21. We're not going to go there. Just to recap... Exodus 21 teaches us that eye for eye and tooth for tooth was God drawing a line of justice in a very unjust world. When Exodus 21 was being written, it was in a world where when somebody did something against you, if somebody came and, for instance, in, in the case of uh, Simeon and Levi, when somebody from a city of Shechem had his way with their sister, Okay, that was an offense against Simeon and Levi. Their response is, let's slaughter the entire male population of their village. That is the world that they are growing up in. So Exodus 21 comes and says, let's draw a line here. Let's draw a line. You can go too far when it comes to paying somebody back for what they've done wrong to you. And then we go to Leviticus. We go to Leviticus chapter 24, and it sheds a little bit more light that eye for eye and tooth for tooth is not only a law, a line between justice and injustice, but that line needs to be drawn not on your opinion, not on your emotions, not on how you feel that day, but on fairness. When punishment is required, do not go further than what is deserved. And then Deuteronomy 19 teaches us that when Israel would get into their nation, and hopefully by then, injustice was the rarity and justice was the norm, but you're still going to need to fight for justice and fight against injustice. When that happens, let me tell you what your national courts are supposed to do. 
Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, stripe for stripe, beast for beast, life for life. When your national courts need to step in, make sure you step in fairly. So when Jesus comes along and says, ye have heard that it has been said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. He's not destroying the law. He's destroying how the law had been twisted. And he's going to destroy how it had been twisted by teaching what God actually meant when he, when he gave that law to begin with. And what Jesus says is, when God said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, he was telling your national government that when a crime requires punishment, do not cross the line of justice. Because if you do at that point, you haven't established anything. You've just created more injustice. And at that point, if you want to make the argument that, well, I did that back to them because they did something wrong to me, but you have did, done something back more than what they did to you, don't they now have every right to come back at you? And we just have this perpetual vicious cycle. Somebody's got to stop it. So make sure that when a crime requires punishment, you do not go past the line. But now, the scribes and Pharisees are saying, in your everyday personal interactions, whenever somebody does anything against you, the law says you can hit them back just as hard as they hit you. When God said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, he's looking to establish national justice. He was not giving a way for everybody to enact personal vengeance. That is not what he intended with the law. He was teaching when punishment is required, I want your national courts to think this. If we are going to have godly justice in our nation, godly justice makes it illegal to go any further than this line. The Pharisees are saying eye for eye, tooth for tooth means that when any harm is done to you, you have every right to go as far as you can. And you can stop right there. You can go as far as they went with you. And as long as you do that, you won't break the law. Now, maybe you can go that far without breaking the law. But the preface of Jesus' entire message is accept your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees find their righteousness in obeying the law of Moses, the letter of the law. Jesus says, my followers are going to go deeper, exceed that, find the spirit of the law. And that's what they're going to follow. The Pharisees might find their, their righteousness in obeying the law of Moses. My followers are going to find their righteousness in displaying the love of Christ. The Pharisees say to you, eye for eye, tooth, tooth for tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, resist not evil? And I've given you these examples before. So disband the police force. Is that what it means? Because what is one of the main things that the police do? Don't they resist evil? Absolutely. To serve and protect. Do we disband the military? When a nation invades our nation... Do we let them go? When somebody robs us and they find the silver, do we say, okay, follow me and let me show you where the gold is because I, I want to turn the other cheek. When somebody's shooting at you, do you not shoot back? Turn the other cheek. So we know, we know no. 
So what does Jesus mean by resist not evil? Well, guys, we need to look at the examples that he gives. And he gives examples of evil in this world. Example number one, when somebody slaps you on the cheek. Folks, is that life-threatening? We're not talking, he's not talking about somebody repeatedly punching you in the face, is he? He's not talking about somebody chasing you with a sword. He's not talking about somebody with a gun shooting at you. He's not talking about somebody strangling you with the rope. Somebody slaps you across the face. You know what a slap on the, on the cheek is? If, if, you know the old, the old Looney Tunes where they take off their... and psh, It's an insult. Being slapped in the face is an insult. It is, can we put it this way? It is the physical equivalent of somebody calling you a name. It is the physical equivalent of somebody making fun of your mother. Or somebody making fun of how you look that day. Or somebody making fun of how you look every day. It's the physical equivalent of somebody cursing you. Or cursing your father. Or cursing your kids. Somebody mocking how your voice sounds. It's the physical equivalent of somebody vandalizing your AC units. It's the equivalent of somebody spreading rumors about you or giving you the silent treatment. It's the physical equivalent of somebody avoiding you. It hurts. But it's not going to kill you, is it? But do you know what the Pharisees taught? The law says, and the law allows, when somebody calls you a name, call them one back. And when somebody slaps you, slap them back. Somebody makes fun of your mom, make fun of theirs. Somebody curses your father, you curse theirs. Somebody mocks how you sound, mock how they sound. Somebody says, you look funny today. You look funny every day. Somebody says that somebody vandalizes your AC. You find out where they live and vandalize theirs. <laughs> So you all laugh because you thought about it. <laughs> You're driving around looking for a white Chrysler Sebring because there's not many of those, hon. There's not many of those, hon. We're going to find it. And when we do, I don't care what I'm doing. I don't care if I'm on the way to the hospital and you're having a baby. We're stopping and we're following that car because they vandalized our AC. <laughs> Somebody gives you the silent treatment, give them the silent treatment back. Somebody spread rumors about you, you spread rumors back. Somebody's avoiding you, you avoid them. The law allows you to do it. Here's what Jesus taught. Exceed that and let the person insult you. Let, let him have at it. Let him insult you repeatedly. And don't stoop so low to do it back. Because Jesus knows humans, doesn't he? He knows humans. You slap them back, so they slap you. Mm. What are they going to do? All right, now we're even. <laughs> no? Boom! I don't know what kind of sound that was, but whatever. Jesus knows when you slap the person back, when you call them a name back, when you curse their father back, when you curse their mother back, well, your outfit looks stupid too, and your nose is crooked, and you're this, and you're that. It's going to escalate. It's going to get out of hand. So what Jesus says is somebody just needs to put a stop to it. 
Somebody just needs, somebody needs to love your enemies and pray for them that hurt you and bless them that curse you and do good to them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Somebody needs to do that. Example number two, somebody sues you at law for your coat. That's embarrassing. I'd I'd rather not have any type of private problems dealt with publicly in front of strangers. More, More so than it's embarrassing, isn't it a little ridiculous that we're going to court over a coat? That, that, is the, that is the equivalent of being called out in front of a group by somebody who has a problem with you and they just want to humiliate you. That is the equivalent of being given a speeding ticket for going five miles per hour over. Yeah. We're seriously getting a $150 ticket for going five miles per hour over? Seems a little ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, there are criminals out there vandalizing ACs, and you're pulling me over? That is the equivalent of somebody making a mountain out of molehill, right? A tempest in a teapot. Is it really that big of a deal? We're going to go to court for a coat? The Pharisees would tell you, embarrass them back. They sue you, countersue them. They call you out, you call them out. Officer gives you a ticket, get his badge number. He's calling your driving into question, you call his, you call his ability as an officer into, a, into question. The law allows it. Jesus says, guys, instead of fighting back over something so small, my followers will go above and beyond just to make it right with the person. You want my coat? It's not that big of a deal. You want Take my cloak too. Can we just be done with this? Not only admit, if, if somebody calls you out in front of somebody, somebody else and, or in front of other people, if you're wrong, admit it. And not only admit it, but make it right with that person and build a friendship with them. Now, I know what you're thinking already. That ain't fair. We'll come back to that. I know what else you're thinking. So just let them off the hook? Just be a pushover then? Because what they did isn't right. I'm not saying that what they did was right. And neither is Jesus. Resist not evil, he said. Yeah, it's evil. It shouldn't be happening. But somebody calls you out in front of somebody else just to humiliate you, admit where you're wrong, and make it right with them. The officer gives you a ticket for going five miles over. Pay the ticket. And not only pay the ticket, why don't you shake the hand of the officer and thank him? Oh, man, Jesus. You are asking us to, what, exceed the righteousness? It's not what a lot of other people will do, but it's what Jesus says. That's what my disciples will do. I don't understand why people have to make a mountain out of a molehill. Neither do I. But guys, if it really is a molehill, that means it should be easy for you to get over it. If it truly is a molehill. Example number three. A Roman soldier compels you to carry his burden for a mile. What is that? That's unfair. That's degrading. That's inconvenient. Because you were doing your own thing. And he stops you and says, no, your schedule is now mine. And your life is now mine for the next mile. That's unfair. It's degrading. 
it's inconvenient. That's the equivalent of your boss making you stay late to do a task that he was assigned to do, but he's too lazy to do it. That is the equivalent of your teacher losing an assignment, and so you have to do it again. That is the equivalent of your parents asking you to wash the dishes or clean the house when you weren't the one who made the mess. That is the equivalent of somebody's sin placing a weight upon your shoulders that is not yours to bear, but now you have to carry it, and they seem to be walking as light as a feather. That is the equivalent of being accused of doing something that you didn't do. Being compelled to carry something that you shouldn't have to carry. Somebody accuses you of doing something that you shouldn't do. That's correction that you shouldn't have to carry. Well, it wasn't me. You say I'm wrong? Well, guess what? You're wrong too. Can you respond in that way? Could you respond in that way? Sure you could. It's how the Pharisees would have responded. You're wrong. You're blaming me for this. You're wrong. You want to say I'm wrong, I want to say you're wrong. That's how the Pharisees would have responded. Jesus says, my, my followers will exceed that. Take the blame and even make it right. Go the extra mile. One time at our school growing up, there was a poster in a room. And somebody wrote on the poster, oh, who was it? No, no, no. Oh, who was it? it was, he was older than me. Oh, oh. Aaron Harris was here. <laughs> and so guess who gets blamed for it? Like, uh, who? Okay, here's something that any smart teenager would know. You don't write your name. You write somebody else's. And that was what somebody did. Somebody wanted to vandalize, but they didn't want to get in trouble for it. So somebody else wrote, Aaron Harris was here. So guess who gets called into the office? Aaron Harris. Oh my goodness gracious. No clue. <laughs> oh man. So Aaron Harris gets called into the office. How dare you do that? You, need to, you not only need to apologize to the person who bought that poster, you need to buy a new poster, and you need to, all, all these different things. Yes, sir. And he went and he did it, knowing full well he didn't do it. What a pushover. Jesus would say, what a disciple. When somebody compels you to go a mile, the Pharisees taught, walk the mile, drop the gear, and then pray for the Messiah to come so that we can rule over these dictators. Do what your boss tells you to do, but once you have the chance to boss him around, because he's lazy and you're not, the day's coming, you let him have it. Do what your teacher requires. Do what your parents require. Carry that person's baggage of their sin for as long as you have to, and then cast it back on them as soon as you can. Do that, and you've kept the law. Jesus said, my followers will exceed that and do twice of what was unfairly asked of them to do. When somebody is unfair to you, instead of doing something unfair back, do something equally unfair to yourself. 
not only complete the boss's task, do another one. And don't seek the credit for it. Not only turn in the lost assignment, turn it in better than the first time you turned it in. And not only wash the dishes that you didn't put in the sink, clean the house too. Not only clean the house that your little sisters messed up, not you. <laughs> Girls don't make messes. You're right, Dad. Abe and I came home, and we were just dying to play with these Sour Patch Kids dolls. You're, you're absolutely right. Not only clean the house, but you clean the house with the good ads and mow the lawn while you're at it. Go the extra mile. Not only carry the weight of that person's choices, I know it's unfair, but not only carry it, but seek to restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Because it's only by the grace of God you didn't sin. So let's review here. From the time I for I was originally given, to Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees had twisted that law to mean whenever somebody hits you, you have every right to hit them back just as hard. But while the scribes and Pharisees were so focused on enacting revenge because of what Moses' legality allowed, disciples would focus on displaying love because of what Jesus' morality required. Let me say that again. The scribes and Pharisees were so focused on enacting revenge because Moses' legality allowed it. Disciples will be focused on displaying love because Jesus' morality required it. So the question is, how can Jesus say resist not evil without destroying eye for eye and tooth for tooth? And what we have found is that eye for eye and tooth for tooth was given so that Israel's courts could establish national justice by making sure that punishments were proportionate to the crime. When Jesus says, resist not evil, he is once again looking far before the actions of the hands get out of control, and he looks far before to the notions of the heart, and here's what he's saying. You know what? The vast majority of the crimes that require your national government to step in and uphold, and uphold justice would be avoided. Are we following? The vast majority of the crimes that would require your national government to step in and uphold justice would be avoided if people would just turn the other cheek when somebody slapped them. And if people would just be willing to give extra to right or wrong, and if people would go above and beyond even when they're compelled to do something that is unfair, the vast majority of crimes that would require your national government to step in would be avoided if people would just respond with kindness and not vengeance. But, but, when somebody does something that requires punishment, Thine eye shall not pity. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So shalt thou put away the evil from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear 
and say, I'm not going to do that because there's punishment for it. You've heard that it had been said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say unto you, let kindness be your comeback. Stop thinking about what's fair and start thinking what's right. Stop asking, how does the law allow me to respond when somebody wrongs me? And start asking, how does the Lord desire me to respond when somebody wrongs me? Stop being so focused on justice and start focusing on mercy as Jesus did with us. Now, many of you came to the conclusion, let God be your avenger. How many of you came up with that? Let God be your avenger, something like that. I think we had let, let Christ be your standard, let meekness be your standard, a lot of different things. But a lot of people said, let God be your avenger. When somebody does you wrong, let God handle it, right? Ignore it. Leave it alone. Don't do anything. Now, that's certainly better than doing the wrong thing, but it's not as good as doing the right thing. And Jesus says the right thing to do is not leave it alone. It's to respond with kindness. I think the first thing that, I, that somebody said when I brought it up, what do you do when somebody wrongs you? And somebody shouted out, ignore it. Jesus says, no, 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 don't ignore it. Use it. Don't just let them slap you and then leave it alone. Let them slap you and then turn the other cheek. And don't just let them take your coat. Give them your cloak, too. And don't just walk the mile. Walk, too. Because in turning the other cheek, and in giving them your cloak also, and in going the extra mile, you're not only extinguishing any opportunities for things to escalate and get out of control, you are also creating an opportunity to let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Aaron Harris, who went and did that and just took it, when he could have looked, could he have looked back without doing anything wrong and saying, that wasn't me? Sure he could have. Would he have done anything wrong? No. Law would have allowed it, right? Two weeks later, when somebody finds out it wasn't him, that person goes up and says, why didn't, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do anything? I figured it would just be better to take care of it rather than get into an argument with authority. It's a pretty Christian attitude. That's a good opportunity. Imagine if that would have happened in a public school. What an opportunity that would have brought for him to say, I'm a Christian. Because nobody else would act that way. A preacher said this, the main idea of this passage is that the law was good and necessary historically, but incomplete without Jesus and his love. Without Jesus, we need justice to bring balance. With Jesus... The scales are already tipped in our favor. Look at verses 3 through 12 of chapter 5. They show us that even the worst 
that the world can throw at us, we're still so far ahead. We're still so blessed. The preacher went on to say this, through the Holy Ghost, we have a part of the same Godhead dwelling within us. And so we should act as Jesus acted in order to display that indwelling presence. Consider when Jesus was crucified. Was he not slapped in the cheek? Was he not tried in the courts? Was he not compelled to carry someone else's burden? And yet he endured it all. So as Jesus was the light of the world, so we should let our light shine before men. You know who that preacher was that said that? My brother. Church, I wish you could see how petty the majority of your quarrels are. I know in the moment they feel big. But think about after this. Are they really that big of a deal? I wish you would consider how ashamed you will be when you get to heaven and you realize what you allowed to get a rise out of you to the point where you had to say something and you had to do something. You had to resist such great evil as somebody calling you a name. You had to resist such great evil of somebody making a mountain out of a molehill or treating you unfairly. Go ahead and fire back. It will backfire. Want to get them back? Be kind. Now, I know what you're thinking. If I let kindness be my comeback, that's not fair. Right? And isn't the law all about fairness? The verses that we read, you have heard that it has been said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. When somebody slaps you, turn to them the other cheek. When somebody sues you for your coat, give them your cloak. When somebody compels you to go with them a mile, go with them twain. And then he says this, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow from thee, turn not away. Jesus says in those few verses, there are two great marks of a Christian. One is forgiving people. When somebody slaps you, let them, forgive them. When somebody embarrasses you, makes a mountain out of a molehill, forgive them. Let them do it. Be kind to them in return. When somebody treats you unfairly, forgive them. Verse 42, you know another mark? Giving for people. Two things that mark a Christian, that mark a disciple. Forgiving people and giving for people. Do either of those have anything to do with what is fair? Absolutely not. I know it's not fair. It has nothing to do with what's fair. It has everything to do with what is right. But preacher, if I let kindness be my comeback, that lets them off the hook. Oh, does it? Oh, does it? Proverbs 25. Let's go ahead and turn there. Verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry... Let him starve. And if he be thirsty, 
serves them right. Give them bread to eat, give them water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. What does it mean to heap coals of fire on somebody's head? Well, if I just imagine that happening to me, you know what I would say? Get it off. That hurts. Not fun. It's the Lord's poetic way of saying, look, when, when somebody insults you, when somebody embarrasses you, when somebody treats you unfairly, do you know why they're doing that? They want to get a rise out of you. They want you to come back. They want you to hit them back. And when you don't, they realize this isn't working. I'm only hurting myself. The best way I can describe heaping coals of fire on somebody's head is by telling you a story. When I was in high school, I was a jerk. Now, I know it's hard for you to understand that. I was sarcastic. I was rude. If somebody wanted to insult me, I had you checkmated before you started. I, I just, I could get, I could tell you things that I said to people where they wouldn't talk to me for months. I think Brother Ben probably knows a couple of them. Oh my goodness, what I said to people. And I should have just let it go. But I, but I, ooh. But there was this one kid, Phil Johnson. And oh my goodness, I tormented that child. He was in the same group, he was in the same grade as me, he was bigger than me. He, he could have, but he never did. And I just, I, I gave, I, I raised Cain for him. There was, there was one time, my, my best friend's name was Curtis. His mom, Mrs. Davis, was a teacher. And she said, Johnny, there was one time, she told me this far after high school. She said, Johnny, you, you gave Phil so many fits. You gave him so much trouble. You were always so mean to him, so hurtful to him. I understand he wasn't the, the most lovable at, at the time, but you, know, he just, you were so rude to him. But there was one time when Phil came in, and you and Curtis were standing there, and you were playing basketball in the, in the, in the gym, and Phil was like, hey, I got a car. And apparently, allegedly, I looked back and I was like, what? You got a car? No way, man. That's awesome. Yeah, would you like to see it? I'd love to see it, of course. And so Phil walks out and I go after him. And Mrs. Davis is like, Johnny's finally growing up. He's being kind. He's being courteous to this guy. He's reaching out to him. And I, she's like, I wanted to see it more for myself. And I walked out, and you were on top of Phil's car, jumping on it. <laughs> I was horrible to him. Called him names. <laughs> it's just, we're, we're horrible to him. And one day, I was exceptionally mean to him. And that afternoon, I forgot my lunch. Phil spent his own money, went to, the, went to the candy machine and the soda machine, not only bought me something, but bought what I knew I liked, what he knew I liked, and gave it to me. Guys, you talk about conviction that can only be described as somebody pouring a lump of coals on my head. 
get it off, get it off this. I am never doing that again. You know, a lot of times we tell our kids when a bully is punching you, punch him back, he'll leave you alone. Phil punched me back with great kindness. And I left him alone. And he's a good friend today. When you come back with kindness, you're not only frustrating them, but you're also telling God, that's the one. And at that moment, God says, I'll deal with him. All right, God, burn him! Let him have it! Guy's a jerk. Seriously. Easy, Jonah. Right? Easy, Jonah. God's way of eliminating their evil might be to save them. Look, there are two ways to stop an evil person. Way number one, destroy the evil person. Way number two, destroy the evil in the person. And God's way and what he wants our way to be is way number two. How do you overcome evil? How do you recompense evil? The Pharisees would say, if you want to destroy evil, come back with an equal portion of evil. Jesus said, come back with a double portion of kindness. How are you going to fight fire? With an equal portion of fire or with a double portion of water? Romans chapter 12. Verse 17, ready? Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of, sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. <clears throat> Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So, to say, let God be your avenger, you're halfway there. But it's not just letting God do something, there's something for you to do too. Let kindness be your comeback, and then God will be your avenger. Therefore, therefore, if you want God to be your avenger, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So the next time you're proverbially slapped in the face, somebody calls you a name, somebody makes fun of you, Somebody does something hurtful, but it's not going to kill you. Can you call him a name back? Yeah, but have you made anything better? And it's going to escalate to the point 
where national courts might have to get involved. You know the most murders start with a name being called? Can we put it that way? You know that most of these big crimes started a long time ago where people just couldn't let something go. So the next time you are proverbially, I'll get it, sued for a coat, you're publicly embarrassed, you're pursued for petty reasons, or you're made to walk a mile, you're, you're taken advantage of, you're treated unfairly. And everything within you says, get them back. Let kindness be your comeback. You'll heap coals of fire on their head, you'll let your light shine, and you will greatly please your Father. Only disciples will get that one. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.